it take to launch and run an Amada Senior Care franchise? Find out on another episode of We Are Amada, the show dedicated to the entrepreneurs who decided to take a risk and start a business that matters to them, to their families, and to their communities. I'm Marcus Mora. Welcome to the show. Welcome again to our call for Amada Senior Care. And today I've got, a, I think, what a, a real treat for you guys. I have two guys here with me. One of them is Chad Fotheringham, one of the founders of Amada Senior Care here in Orange County and the president of our company today. So say hi, Chad. Hello. All right. That that's it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hi. That's it, guys. And uh, so there's Chad. And the other one is uh, Ken Jensen. So Ken Jensen was our second franchisee ever. So we're talking when we had one franchisee, which is Robert Christian. Actually, he's in the office as well, but I think he's busy, right? Yeah. So Robert's here as well. He was our first franchisee. Right after that, uh, Ken Jensen was our second franchisee ever back in 2012. Can you believe that, Ken? I am old. Only to believe that. 2012. And so Ken is here as well. Obviously, as you guys know, Chad Fotheringham built an enormous organization here in Orange County, California, and then we started franchising. Ken Jensen in Colorado Springs is now billing over $500,000 in gross billings in his market in Colorado Springs. He is now expanding into other markets in other states. But again, Ken is doing over $500,000 in billing in his market a month. In, in, yeah, per month. Big deal. It, sorry, I didn't give a demotion there. So $500,000 a month in billing and gross revenues. That is in our franchise disclosure documents. So I have both of these guys here, but it's not just the fact that they built huge organizations. I wanted to introduce you to their backgrounds. I know that a lot of you, I would say probably two-thirds of you on the phone come from medical device to pharmaceutical sales. You come from Abbott, Merck, Pfizer, Stryker, and all these other companies. But there's about a third of you guys who do not come from medical device to pharmaceutical sales. And actually, that's what I have in the room today. Uh, Chad Fotheringham spent about 10 years, right, Chad? Yep, 10 years. In pharmaceutical sales. And then he quit his job cold turkey and started a modest senior care with Tafa Jefferson. This is in 2007. So 10 years of pharmaceutical experience. But you also have, it almost is like a battle of the backgrounds. I also have here Ken Jensen, who had how many years of pharmaceutical sales and medical device sales, Ken? Zero. Zero years of medical device and pharmaceutical sales. None of whatsoever. So what makes these two guys incredibly successful? And that's what I want to share with you guys. So that's setting the stage. So Chad... Talk a little bit about your background when you started Amada Senior Care back in 2007. Uh, and you can go a little bit into more specifically what that pharma background was. Yeah. And what did you take from that that you believe made you successful in Amada? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that um, my background, I had 10 years, in, actually about 12 years in pharmaceutical sales, 10 with Pfizer. And I started out as a sales rep. Um, I kind of moved up within the sales rep ranks and then eventually got into national account management where I was managing uh, relationships with large managed care providers. And so it was good. I think the, the main thing that allowed me to move from pharmaceuticals into home care or senior care and be successful was my ability to build relationships. And that really came from my background in calling on physicians and hospitals and different areas within the healthcare arena. But it, it wasn't necessarily my understanding of the healthcare. That was something I learned and it's good. It helps us now. But really, it was more the ability to continually and consistently go out and build relationships with providers. And even though the, pro the providers I called on when I was in pharmaceuticals were mainly physicians, there were some other thought leaders that we worked with, but for the most part, it was physicians. Now it's social workers, case managers. It's similar environment, but just different people. 
Um, and so that was my background. And I think a lot of people equate our success at Amada and what we had done to the fact that we had healthcare and sales experience. But I'll say that some of our most successful franchise partners don't have that healthcare experience. Ken, for example, Ken, if you want to maybe chime in, he didn't have the healthcare environment, but the one thing that we both commonly had was the ability and background of building relationships and consistently selling and building relationships throughout our community. You can talk, I mean, you didn't have the healthcare environment and how hard was it to, to come in and start yours and what did you do to, to kind of enter, enter the market and create success and what have you done long-term to keep that success going? Well, I think the key that I learned was I, was, I knew I was a hard worker and I had been a stockbroker, so I was used to cold calling people all the time. And so I used to cold call 300 people a day as a stockbroker. And then I, I further went on to own my own company in a lighting company and then also in a construction company. And so we did military construction for almost 10 years. But it was always the same thing, talking to new people, building relationships, and getting them to help them understand what we were trying to do. And it's the same process. So the first time I walked into a hospital as a Amada owner was no different than walking into a military base trying to convince them to use us for military construction. Just a different sale. It's just person-to-person relationship building um, and having... I think the one thing that Amada has done well is we've come up with resources to get you in the door places. Yeah. And what we found is that the people who are successful are already good at the process of developing relationships. Our tools just help them get in the door, and then they get in that door wide open, and they continually get into that door day after day after day. And I think a lot of people ask Ken, why are you continually growing at the pace that you are? He, he's had hyper growth pretty much since he started five years ago. Yeah. It's five yeah, years now. Right. So I mean, to, to, yeah. for him to be able to achieve the revenue that he has, and he, he has similar growth to what Top and I did. Most people in the industry would call that hyper growth. And it all comes down to one simple thing, and that I see this in all of our top performers, the ability to continue to sell and market and build relationships. Every day, just tell people what your schedule looks like every day. You have how many clients and how many caregivers? We have about 320 clients, about 380 caregivers. What do you spend most of your day doing? And just give them an idea of what your day looks like. I typically start every morning at 8 o'clock. And between 8 and 10, I go out and market to all my referral sources every single day. And then spend the afternoon doing either presentations or signing up clients. So more marketing, more sales. Yeah. Our typical our typical week, we'll sign between 8 and 12 clients every single week. And so that's kind of where we're going. And we are constantly getting new clients. And I have an office staff that does all the hiring now, and they take care of all the scheduling. I am not involved in the operations side at all as far as performance. I watch it, but I don't do it. But at the same time, let's go back to that operations and kind of divide it out. Because you mentioned, I know you were very involved with hiring your caregivers for your first three years. Yeah. Like you were even involved in every hire. Right. I hired all, I did all the hiring. So sales and recruiting and hiring and making sure you had the right people. So maybe it was like 80% sales marketing and 20% recruiting your first, to get to where you're at, right now you're 8 to 10 in the morning. But when you first started your first year, what was your sales like? Oh, probably 8 to noon. I, I'd go hit 8. I hit 12 to 14 places every single day. Yeah. Just trying to figure out who could refer me. And filtering through your call cycle and putting people on that call cycle. And I'm now talking pharma, like call cycle, you would kind of move that around every right. month. Adding yeah. people, taking people off based on their... Right. Now, let me do this. Uh, George actually asked a very good question. I know a lot of you guys, this may be the very first time that you're hearing about Amada Senior Care. So, by the way, 
Um, it, I know a lot of you have been following us for a while, but at Modest Senior Care, we provide home care services for seniors. And our home care services, we mean that a caregiver goes to the home and takes care of things like dressing, bathing, walking, grooming, toileting, all of those things that you need to thrive on a daily basis. So we are not sending, you know, a, a nurse to do wound care or shots or something like that. Um, and in fact, Chad, you mentioned real briefly, we'll back up a little bit. You talked about how in the pharmaceutical world, you were dealing with physicians or uh, managed care uh, solutions and all these, all these different institutions. So you went from calling on those folks to calling what you talked about, the case managers and social workers. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the difference in in that call and uh, and why it is that that you switched had to switch gears? You bet. I'm going to also. There was two questions, one by George and one by Paul, that asked a similar question. Yeah. Paul asked, "What is a client, hospital or patient?" And then George asked, "Can you please touch or summarize on the overall business platform for Mata?" Um, our overall business platform is like Marcos had said. It's we go out and we hire caregivers. And we go out and we build relationships with these medical providers, hospitals, skilled nursing, home health companies, hospice companies. You know, they're providing the medical care in the home or they're maybe discharging people home from the hospital or skilled nursing. And their discharge planner is sending someone home saying, you need home health, which is a different company, but you also need home care, which is non-medical caregivers helping you with bathing, dressing, transferring. And so as they're referring out a home health Medicare reimbursed provider, they're also uh, referring out us. And so we would provide that caregiver in the home. We'll contract privately with that family to provide that service, either through their long-term care insurance or through private pay, and we provide that care. So that is a client to us. And, and in some cases, we will provide those services in a skilled nursing facility if they need a bed sitter or in a hospital. But 95% of all of our clients, are we're providing care for them at home uh, with one of our one-on-one -on -one caregivers. So getting back to your question. Yeah. Um, can you ask it again? I <laughs> going going back to you, to the question is, um, I think you, you sort of answer the fact that for a lot of these folks that are medical advice pharmaceuticals, they're calling on a certain call point, which is a physician. Yeah. And you even were doing uh, uh, Pacific Care and some of these larger yeah. entities, but that switches, right? So and yeah. it switches because. Yeah, that's good. Okay, and I'll answer, and then I'll turn it over to Ken because he he may not have had the experience with doctors, but he. It's the same thing. Whoever you call on, it's building relationships, giving them resources, whether it was physicians, and I kind of learned this from my pharma days. Even when we were dealing with physicians, I couldn't just go in and sell my product. You know, I may, I may have had a Lipitor, which was to help reduce cholesterol, but I better go in and give them resources that help their patients better treat their cholesterol. How do you improve their diet? How do you improve their lifestyle so that they can improve that? If I didn't have resources there, they weren't going to use my product. It's the same thing here. When I go to a case manager and a social worker, it's not, hey, I have, I'm Chad Fotheringham at the Mata Senior Care and I have the best caregivers. It's let me give you resources to train your patients uh, or, or your, uh, my potential clients right. on what they need at home, how to do home care assessments, how do we help them with their long-term care insurance, how do we help them get the VA in attendance benefit to pay for this care. If I give those referral sources resources that they can in turn give to their clients and I can become the expert in that area, um, one of the things that we do as far as expertise building, our experts, our referral sources, minds, and, and giving really good information to the end user, the client, are our CEUs. I know Ken's been doing a lot of our CEUs. Do you want to talk to that? Continuing oh, yeah. education. Continuing education. So we give these presentations. Ken, do you want to kind of explain a little bit about that process and how we do it? And right. I know you've been, you've been so doing a lot of it. Case managers and nurses all need to take CEUs, continuing education units, every year to maintain their license. 
and we have some great CEUs that we go in, so we get our face-to-face with those people that actually do all the referring. We're providing a valuable um, benefit to them, and they in turn look at our knowledge and what we do and realize, okay, this is somebody I would refer. You know you have a great referral source when they refer you their own parents. That's right. They, when, when they start giving you friends and family, you know you've got a great referral source. And they, the one thing I want to say is when I, I looked at all the different franchise, franchises, I looked at Right at Home, Homestead, Visiting Angels, and was when, when I went to their, um, what do you call that? The eight discovery, discovery day. day yeah. Yeah, I realized, okay, they have nothing for me. They had no differentiator. They were exactly the same, all three of them. And when I, when I actually went to Chad and, and Amada, I was blown away about how they build their business, what they do in their business, how different they are. And that was a huge differentiator for me. And that's why I, I chose Amada. Well, I, I think it comes down to Ken also had the profile. He had the ability to build relationships. And right. when he came and saw the tools that we had, which are door openers, he was like, oh, I can sell that. I remember him sitting in sales training, and it was just like I saw in his brain, like, okay, click, I've got that. I've got all these different tools. And then I saw him in the field. He would just go out and implement into these tools to get in. And then he would use his ability to build relationships with those people to kind of use those tools to get in, but then expand your brand within that person's mind through the relationships you build. Because it is a relationship-based business. And if you don't like people and you're not good at building relationships, this is not the right business for you. Right. Um, I'll say this on the CEUs. We're actually, the whole reason that Ken and Robert are here is we're having a high performers and kind of like all, we have what are called franchise business coaches, and Ken's one of those franchise business coaches. He becomes a mentor to our new franchise partners. So we're having, and we're actually releasing one of, a new CEU called Medicare Advantage and how Medicare Advantage is now starting to pay for home care. CMS just announced they're going to allow the Medicare Advantage or manage Medicare HMOs to pay for, for senior care and our non-medical care as part of the service. They were not allowed to do that in the past. So we're now releasing the CEU that we're going to be training them on this week, today and tomorrow, or actually tomorrow and the next day, on how they can give this CEU to all the managed Medicare case managers out in the market so we can build relationships with them so that when it comes time to contract, we'll be the first on the list of those companies. So we're always looking at expanding our, our, our reach on who we call on. We're also continually looking for door openers to our franchise partners so that they can get in and find new relationships that will how many different people in your market can refer home care? Oh, hundreds. Hundreds, right? Yeah. If not, maybe thousands. thousands. Yeah. And how many have we tapped? You may have tapped, what, 20% of your yeah. overall market? At most. So it's, it's how, but the people who are the most successful at growth, they go in and they get a couple of relationships and they don't stop. They're always out searching for more people to add to their call cycle, and you're continually cycling through. That's what Ken has been able to be the best at is just continually cycling through your call cycle and finding new people to call on who can refer and then maybe cycling the people who can't refer out. Right. Now, here's a really good question by David, which actually goes into really what we do and what's so special about us. And, Jim, that's a great question as well. I'll come back to you. But David was asking, why would a referring agent, so let's talk about a, a case manager at the hospital. They've got somebody to discharge, Miss Jones. Why would that case manager discharge uh, Miss Jones to a company that does home health and home care, why not just send it to one place? Why don't they send them to why, just home health and home care instead of just us? Yeah, why Why do they need us at all when there's home care companies that probably have caregivers as well? Ken, what, what's your thought on that? Most of our, in Colorado, most of our home health companies do not compete with me. So they do not have non-medical and medical. And so we don't have that issue. 
But um, when you teach them exactly how well you do at the non-medical home care, we refer home health all the time. We bring home health into our clients all the time. They're one of our biggest referral sources. So we refer to them, and they love the fact that we're a non-medical home care company bringing them in to help our clients get stronger and healthier. A case manager is going to look down the medical, medical aisle first and see if they can get that covered because it's paid for by Medicare. And then we pick up the non-medical side or the home care side, and that's paid for by long-term care insurance, private pay, or um, aid attendance to VA benefit. And so we help them navigate those um, payment sources so that we can get a great client. And I'll say this, in our, I would say that Ken is right. The majority of home health or hospices or even hospitals, they may own a home health or even a hospice, but they don't have home care. But the ones that do, it's starting to grow, and we're seeing that. So I don't want to misrepresent, but in some markets, we don't see it as much. In our market, we did see it. Yeah. And, in fact, those were some of our best referral sources. Even what you, what you see is a very siloed approach. You have the home health, the hospice, and then potentially the home care. In many cases, they don't get along. The way that home health and home care are the, the they're very different models. And in many cases, the home care is not as proactive as that home health team that sits on the other side of the building wants them to be. And in many cases, they get disappointed. They get disenfranchised. In many cases, the home care is like, hey, you have to refer to us. So, you know, we're not going to come. If it's Friday at 8 o'clock at night, I'm not going to meet your patient. I'll see you on Monday morning. Right. And so what we see is I always tell people at that home health or hospice, call me anytime. If your people won't come, I'll be there. If you have a problem with yours, let me just be your backup. And I'll even go to that home care company and say, hey, if you guys don't want to take a client on a weekend, let us be your backup. Refer to us. Because in many cases, they run like not an, an owner-run operation. They run like just as an extension, like I'm an employee. I don't really care. It's like I'm not going right. at 8 o'clock. And home care is not an eight to five business. So what we find is many, many times I've had three different home care companies that were owned by home health or the hospital go out of business because they start getting all that business. They expect it. They don't continue to work at a certain level. And eventually they lose trust of their own team and they stop referring. The, so the home health, the home health, or the, in my case, I had two hospitals that own their own home care company. Yeah that eventually that home care company went out of business. Yeah, yeah. And they had a hospital as a referral source. All they had to do was go in there and build relationships and be the Johnny on the spot, and they couldn't even do it. They couldn't do it. So it's a really good question because there is a trend to that. And you guys need to remember that the home health organizations are scheduling things like an hour or half hour increments, you know, maybe two times a week. Usually one time a week for physical therapy, one time a week for occupational therapy. Right. And they do that for five to six weeks, and then it's over. And most clients need way more help than that. Somebody asked a good question, why would I ever refer home health? Let's say I have a client that's been on services for a year. And at the end of the year, they get the flu or they fall or something happens and they need some more physical therapy. We call our favorite home health companies and say, hey, we've got a client. We, they need um, physical therapy, occupational therapy. Come on in and do that. And they love that because they're one of our clients. They're not in a hospital. They're not in a rehab. So it's, a, it's like a freebie for them. And they love that. Yeah, and I think that the really good companies that grow quickly and build those relationships with home health like Ken, and it's not just home health. It's every referral source. If you're looking out on a way on how you can refer back to that company, Ken is so good. I know he has a team. He's got three case managers that are continually going out and visiting his patients. It's great for for patient satisfaction, but it's really great because they're continually scouring their current client base to give referrals to hospice, home health, long-term care insurance companies. So... If you're really on the lookout for all those referral sources, 
and they feel like you are looking to refer to them, your referrals from them will go up tenfold. And not only that, but the families of the clients, yeah. our clients, love the fact that we're helping their mom and dad stay safer and getting those skills of physical therapy, occupational therapy, to help them maintain their being able to be at home for a lot longer. And you know what's interesting? Sometimes we even work down our hours. There may be times where we're, you know, we're servicing someone for 12 hours a day and we bring in the home health and they get better and it's like, hey, we're good. We go to four hours. Right. When you do that and the home health companies see that you're putting the, the client above and beyond what your financial needs are, um, one of our values is compassion and charity. We always say if you do what's right for the client first, you will get 10 times more business. And so I think that's Kenzie, a perfect example of that. He is always looking for other services to bring on to help those patients. Well, we got that That's great. Okay. Um, and so there's another question here by Larry, which, Larry, this is really the crux of it. What I want you guys to understand is why are you on this call? What could make you successful? And you're hearing from these two guys, and at this point you start to think, okay, do I have those qualities? But Larry was asking a question about he's in, in New Mexico, and he's saying, hey, I've got a ton of companies here. I've got all kinds of home health. I've got all kinds of home care companies. I've got a bunch of, of companies here. Uh, what makes Amada different? Uh, what makes the Amada caregivers different? What What is a differentiation strategy? And I want to tell you guys that our differentiation strategy works. You can see here on the screen, this is, this is a little pat on the back for us, but we've been getting so much press because of how we do business. Uh, the NFL reached out to us. We are now the, the exclusive provider of home care for the NFL uh, because of our differentiation strategy. And it might have something to do with the fact that Tafa played in the NFL. Could, could, Maybe. Could be, yeah. But also, also because of our differentiation strategy. So I want to just real briefly have Chad and, um, and Ken talk about the differentiation strategy. I think it's really important you guys understand. The majority of companies out there, when they go to the hospital, when they go to the home, when they go and visit with anybody, what they are saying is two things. They're saying, hey, listen. I am a really nice guy. Trust me, I'm super nice. That's number one. And I'm sure, Ken, you probably say a little bit of that, that you're a nice guy. When oh, you go in. Oh, yeah, of course. You're a nice guy. <laughs> okay, so, you know, that's probably not a differentiation strategy. So one thing that people always say is, we're really nice. The second thing they say is, listen, we have the most loving caregivers in the world. Our caregivers are the most loving. You're just going to love these people. And they want to say they have a monopoly on loving caregivers. Problem is, that's just not the case. Nobody has a monopoly on loving caregivers. So, Chad, with that said, yeah, let me answer his question. How how do we actually differentiate? And I'll say it, and then I'll turn it over to Ken, uh, and he can give his experience. But his his question is a really valid question. Larry basically is saying, what? How do you differentiate yourself, and how do you use your caregivers to differentiate yourself? And most people in this market, they feel like the best way and easiest way to differentiate themselves when they, when they enter into the market is through their caregiver strategy. And my caregivers have a 17-point background check and this and this and yeah. that. And every company, if there's 150 companies in your market today that use that strategy. In New Mexico, in Everywhere. Arizona, in Colorado, how many companies you compete with, Ken? 186. Yeah, <laughs> that's very, very, uh, very exact. Very exact. So here's the thing: we, you have. To, I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying, you internally at your team, and and when you start this business, you have to understand that your caregivers do differentiate you once you get in the door. So you can't have a laissez-faire attitude towards hiring bad caregivers. We believe we have the best caregivers. That's not what we sell when we enter into the per, the market for the first time. 
if you use that as a differentiator strategy, most of your referral sources will look at you and know you're lying because they know that most of your caregivers that you're starting with as a new company are the same caregivers that the guy who they already know and like and who are referring to are using. They know that you don't pop into this market and magically snap your fingers and have 50 caregivers that no one's ever used before. So if you go in with that differentiator strategy, they will say, I don't believe you. And quite frankly, I'm not going to refer to you because you're not offering me anything different. So what we do offer as a differentiator strategy is our expertise in different areas, our ability to what I call resource-based sell. If we have resources that we can prove that we're the experts in, in many cases, that's our payment sources. So whether that's the VA aid and attendance or workers' comp or long-term care insurance, there's some very specific strategies we have in those areas to get us in the door and educate our referral sources, give them referral or resources in those areas. And by doing so, we open up the relationship. And then it's about, like you asked Ken, don't you go in there and talk about you're a good guy. We don't yeah. have to talk about the fact that we're a good guy because when we lead in with the fact that we have resources that are going to educate their patients, the, the large majority of our referral sources, you know what they really want? They don't want things for them. You know, in sales, we talk about feature and, and benefit selling. Yeah. When you approach a referral source in our market, it's not what can I do for the social worker. Right. That social worker, that case manager is sitting there in proxy for the family. They know that they are sitting there for the son or the daughter of that senior who has dementia who can no longer take care of themselves. So if you don't give them resources that help them answer their question, and that's where we lead in. We lead in with resources. The CEUs that we talked about, some of the re we call them resource-based um you know, basic planning guys. Mm -hmm. We have one called the Senior Care Options. We have one called the Long-Term Care Insurance Planning Guide. We have one called the VA Aid and Attendance. As we give them resources to get in the door, people are like, oh, my gosh, like these people aren't even talking about their home care company. They're talking about what can I do for you yeah. to help your patients. Do you want to kind of expand on that, Ken? Yeah. The, I, one of the things that I found that most case managers hate to ask is, was your dad in the military, and do they have long-term care insurance? And the reason why is because they don't know how to answer the question if the answer is yes. And so they don't ask the question. And the number one way we, we, we pay for our clients' care is by aid and attendance and um, long-term care insurance. And so because we're experts at that and nobody can even touch us in either one of those areas, we've helped hundreds of people with both long-term care insurance and VA aid and attendance. And so we've created a revenue stream to pay for our um, care. And when you can show that to a case manager, she's yours forever because she'll start asking that question. And when she hears that answer, she says, yes, call Ken. And I get that call all the time. Um, last week, I, I, I went and met with a client. The most important question I asked my new clients is, where did you get my name? And the guy kind of chuckled. He says, Ken, I got your name from three different sources. And when you get that kind of an answer, you know you're doing the right thing. But, but I also think, like, Ken is very good and very focused, and he's actually even helped us understand that if the, the more broad of an approach you take, and by the way, saying you have the best caregivers is about as broad of an approach yeah, as you can take. That's right. If you give a very focused approach, the reason why he got three referrals is because that person, I would imagine, was either a veteran or had long-term care insurance. He did. He had long-term care insurance. And so whatever one of those two things was, Ken has set up this billboard in all of his referral sources' minds, and every time anyone says long-term care insurance, oh, Ken Jensen, he's the expert. Not only does he brand that message verbally when he sees them, he's got newspaper advertisements and stories going on. He does symposiums out of, out of its market, and he captures what percentage of your patients have long-term care insurance? 60. 60%. Average home care company 
has 10% of their clients that have long-term care insurance. So that, that kind of goes to tell you a focused approach and how you go after that business and brand yourself, that's what differentiates us, I believe. And I think it's not just our message, it is our people. Ken Jensen and the people who become Amada Franchise Partners, their ability to build relationships once they've got that door open, that's what differentiates us in our ability to grow in our market. So if you have that capability, whether you're a farmer rep or not, and you have the ability and you enjoy people and you like to go out and see people on a regular basis and build those relationships, this could be a good business for you. If you don't, you should not do this because you're going to have a lot of time spent with caregivers and patients. And if you don't like to go out and build relationships, it will become very uncomfortable to you in the first couple of months because a lot of people are going to shut doors in your face because that's just the way the business goes. Ken and I, when they shut doors in our face, it's like, okay, well, I just haven't seen them enough. I got to go back five or 10 more times. <laughs> that's right. Um, and if you have that mentality, you can do well. If you don't, you won't. That's very true. And this goes back to why you are on the line. As you can, as you realize, you may have seen this business as a business where all you're doing is you're, you're meeting with families and you're providing a caregiver. And what I wanted to, you guys to understand is it's so much more than that. And it takes a, a tactical level and, and a strategy that needs to be executed at a very high level which comes back to why you are on the phone, why people like Ken Jensen were so successful, why people like Chad was so successful is because we could give this strategy to somebody that has the tactical ability and you can go and execute. You need to be somebody that can sit down with the, uh, the C-level of a hospital or just the case manager of the hospital. And you also need to be able to sit down with a family and be able to feel empathy for them and and provide the love and care that that they need so you need to have all of those levels along with the relationship building that's what we believe you guys have in spades you come from a uh, an education and a background where you've been taught a lot of these bedside manners you've been taught to be able to do presentations at a high level or at a lower level you're able to like a swiss army knife you're able to take out different uh features of the drug or of the medicine or of the the uh, device that you're selling and talk about different features at different times. You, you've been trained so well to do this, which is really what it takes you to be successful in this industry. Would you agree, Chad? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. But I would also preface it by saying it's, it is a little deeper than that. It's, it's that ability to connect with people. It is yeah. those sales skills are important, but they're less important than your ability to connect. And I'm going to go back to our values. If you're compassionate and charitable, if you're confidently humble, if you have urgency in all things, if you're a farmer entrepreneur mentality, if you're competitively driven to be the best, that's what works in this industry. If you're, if you're not compassionate, not charitable, even if you're a great salesperson, you probably won't do that well. That's true. If you're, if you're confident and confidently cocky and you come across as confidently cocky, that does not play well in our market. But if you're confident... Seniors are like kids. They, they, they see it that fast. They do, yeah. They, they know immediately whether you're in it for the right reason or not. And the referral sources, the case yeah. managers and social workers, they can spot it a mile away. They're even going to give you tests along the way. And if you don't go in and talk to a Medicaid patient who you can't maybe make money off of, but if you go spend one minute and as soon as you find out they're Medicaid, you walk out the door because they can't help you, that's your first test you just failed. Yeah. If you go in and you understand what are their options and you explain to them what their options are, even though you're not going to provide a caregiver in their home, but you give them options and you give them companies that they could help, that really, that, that's your first 
you know, passing test, and then they just keep on ramping up what those different things are. So, guys, keep your questions coming. Uh, I think we've covered most of the questions that are here now, but I wanted to cover one more thing. I think for a lot of you guys, you want to find out if this is a fit. Um, and then you also, I think, want to find out about the lifestyle. Um, you talked about, uh, Chad, that this is a 24-7 business. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, and both of you guys can share, uh, the lifestyle of this business. When you're first ramping up, the kind of effort that it takes. And then, uh, Ken, you can also talk about what your lifestyle looks like now. You know, um, I don't know if you mind me sharing about your family. Yeah. Uh, Ken has uh, 10 kids. Is that still the, the same count? Yes. So Ken, <laughs> Ken, Ken has 10 kids, and Chad has seven. <laughs> So, and I did not plan that. This is absolutely true. Ken, now you're just making this sound crazy. I know, it sounds crazy. <laughs> it is not a requirement that you have a lot of kids. But, uh, so you know that these are men who were very busy uh, raising their children. And uh, when you started this business, you had how many? At 2000, you lost count. But four in, or five. Four or five. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, and, and I know that these two gentlemen have worked unbelievably hard. You've had to sacrifice time away from your families. I know you have. Yeah. But Chad, can you talk a little bit about the lifestyle, knowing that a lot of these folks had your lifestyle before yeah. of medical pharmaceuticals and what that looks like. Can you talk about that? Yeah. And then I'm going to turn it over to Ken because yeah. he, he is, um, here's the thing. I'm going to, I'm going to just be totally frank. It's, it's a difficult transition for me and pharma. It's different. I think pharma and med device are two different industries. We lump those together sometimes. Yeah, here. that's right. And they're very different. One is a little more entrepreneurial. I was in pharma, which isn't quite as entrepreneurial. It's a higher base, less bonus. But it was a change in lifestyle. Um, I mean, going from that consistent daily schedule to all of a sudden owning my own business and the amount of time and effort that it took to really ramp up and grow our business in the first year or two. And then as you get bigger and bigger, and you grow, that that responsibility grows and grows and grows. And it doesn't necessarily mean any less time working. It just means I hire more people to do some of those things, but I'm still busy doing my sales and my marketing and visiting clients. Now a lot of my time is spent making sure my clients are happy and my caregivers are happy and, and solving problems and now administering the business. But it's owning your own business is not... Um, especially this business, it's it's not an easy thing. I mean, I went from maybe 40, 50 hours a week in pharma, probably closer to 40, to 60 hours a week. And and now, even to this day, I mean, I'm working harder than I did, but I don't really feel like I'm working. I love what I do. I, it's my own business. I don't mind working hard growing my own business because it's mine, and I, I take a lot of pride in what I do. Um, and I'll kind of let Ken talk to that. I mean, do I have family time? Yeah, but, but is there a sacrifice? I would say I spent more time starting my own business, but I have more flexibility. Could I go to my kids' events? Yeah, I could. I didn't have the same structured environment that I did when I was an employee. I, I had more flexibility, but it didn't mean that I worked less hours. It meant that, I, and I've always worked more hours since I started my own business. Right. I mean, having a large family, I always was home for dinner. I was. I'm always home. I'm always for there for little league games. I coached little league for 32 years. Um, I coach multiple basketball teams for the YMCA. Um, just that's what I did for my kids. But I, so I never missed practices. I never missed games. I could do that. But also there were nights where I worked till 10 o'clock at night. Um, yeah. I mean, that's just the way it is. If you get a call at nine o'clock at night from a referral source and they say they need, they need help tonight, you go sign them up. That's the way it is. Um, I probably work even today. I probably work at least two Saturdays. Uh, I sign up clients at least two times on Saturdays during a week. 
Um, I very seldom work on Sundays, but every once in a while, two weeks ago, I had to w- go to a um, expo on a Sunday and sit in a booth. Um, but I own my company, and I get to decide what I do and don't do. I am willing to go sign up clients 24 hours a day. If they need my help, that's what I'm willing to do. So that's why we've grown. And my referral sources know that if they call me on a Friday night at 5 o'clock, I will drop everything I'm doing just to go sign up that client. It's not an issue. And that's part of being an owner. Um, I saw somebody ask a question about how do you transition from having a salary to being an owner. Being an owner is the greatest thing in the world. You will never regret owning your own company. But you've got to make choices. You cannot be the sales guy, the operations guy, the scheduler gal. It's impossible to do everything. You have to farm some of that out. I had no problem with that. I know my weakness is operations. I understand operations. Um, I am all over my operations, but I don't like operations. So I spend all my time in the sales side. And so I've hired great operations people. In my office, we currently have 17 staff that do all of the operations side, the scheduling, the, the, the managing, the billing, the payroll, the HR. Everything is done by them. I just have a Tuesday meeting every Tuesday, obviously, for the last about an hour and a half. And we go through all their key KPIs and figure out, you know, are they doing the things they need to be doing to keep us successful? So that's how we roll. But, um, yeah, I think that it's the greatest thing in the world to own your own company. I personally have owned my own company since probably 1989. And so I'm going on 20 years. So that oh, was, that was very different for you to go in from, you didn't jump from salary to, to a, right. I, your I've always, always owned, owned your business. business. So for yeah. me, when I sat down with Chad and he talked to me about the differentiators of Amada, yeah, I was a hundred percent in. We bought, we, we agreed to our franchise the very first meeting. Yeah. I, I mean, and it was we, like, and, and we talked about it a day, two days before that. Yeah. On I, the phone. When I talked to Chad for the first time on the phone, um, I said, I'll be down there tomorrow. And I flew down the very next day. And we sat down, and I knew that this was the right thing for me. So it's a no-brainer. It's the greatest industry there is. And it's growing as fast as it can grow. So that's why there's so much competition. But if you were to ask me how much competition do I have, I would tell you I have zero competition. Because nobody in my industry does what I do. And that's the differentiator. That yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'm going to answer that question because I did have a different transition. I came from corporate America. Um, I, I was lucky enough to, um, have some severance. I got basically laid off. Um, they, they told me I could transition to a job moving to Minnesota because Pacific care was my account. Pacific care got bought by United and they said, you can either move to Minnesota or you can take a severance. And I opted for the severance. And part of that severance is I got a health care for a year. Um, I used my 401k and basically it's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, realistic slap in the face. The day you leave and you don't have that salary coming in, I had a little severance. Um, I had my 401k, and I, I didn't use my 401k properly. There's a lot of really good tools nowadays where you can roll your 401k into your own company, and you can, you know, I had to pay penalties and taxes when I withdrew my 401k. You can now avoid a lot of that, and we can set you up with some people who can help you structure that. Um, there's some companies that help these 401k rollovers happen where you don't pay fees and taxes and you roll them into investing into your new company. Uh, Marcos, if you have questions, you can talk to Marcos and his team about that. But I would recommend, I think your FDD is, what is the, the startup cost? 
Um, we estimate the first three to six months between eighty to one hundred and seventy-five thousand. Okay, so you better have at least that, and then you better at least have enough money to live on for at least twelve to eighteen months to pay your personal bills. So that's just the hard cost of starting up your business, and we overestimate. I mean, that's the estimate we get right. from FDD. We try to overestimate that so that you have, but I always remind people it's not just the three to six months of hard costs. It's also the um, the living expenses, and you're either going to have to probably decrease your 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 style of living to, to really save money. Another thing that Ken brought up that's really important is are you good at sales and are you going to need to invest in someone in your office? And are you going to have to hire someone to come in and help you with operations so you can grow quicker? I would say you need at least that 160, if not double of that, just to live uh, for at least a year to 18 months. And as long as you have the right, um, the right kind of launching pad and you have the right runway and enough money to, to, to go, then it's just a matter of hard work. And then every day you're just out and there's a certain level of urgency that you just, have to have every day and every day you've got to get 10 times more work done than you've ever got done because you see that runway coming to the end and if you can't take off by the end of the runway then then you're in trouble so i i kind of want to add my experience i signed my fdd in july and we took us till november to get our license we signed our first client in on november 30th and by february we were billing fifty thousand dollars a month so I, I mean, that's just, that was, that's how we did it. If you're billing $50,000 a month, you should be making profit. Yeah. My problem is, is that we were growing so fast that the next month we built like 68,000 and then 75. And then, I mean. Which is a whole other problem. Right. That because becomes, now cash flow becomes an issue. Cash flow becomes the issue because you're paying last month's bills with next, this month's bills with last month's revenue and it's significantly higher. And if you're so, growing every month, that percentage, all your profits from the month previous get sucked into your current payroll. Exactly. Right? And so that's the issue. Yeah. And, and for hyper growth companies, and, and, and Top and I experienced the same type of growth that Ken did. Right. Our biggest issue, and I always give the example of 12 to 18 months to be super conservative. Um, so, and, and actually, we have another question. That's a, the, the first question that George gave was really good, which was, please guide us through the transition. The second question is, what's the average receivable for a patient monthly care? Do you want to go through kind of what you want me to answer that, and then you can give your yeah, go ahead. So I would say, um, when it comes to there, there's industry averages, right? And then every company is very different. And what's hard is, like you're asking me a question that can have a huge variance. But I'll give you industry averages. And then repeat the question again. Yeah, the, the question is, what is the average receivable for a patient's monthly care? So let me just uh, set that up with an example. Let's say that we bill $3,000 a month for a patient. How long does it take us to collect that $3,000? Um, there's a stat in the Home Care Pulse, which is an industry overview that, that surveys 400 to 500 different companies every year. And the stat says that an average DSO or day sales outstanding is about 30 days. So that would be average. But there's some of our... And, and, like, how long would, it, would you say that it takes you to collect on average? What's your DSO? So... so our clients that pay cash, our cash-paying clients, pay every week for the previous week's billing. So that happens every week. So you our, submit them an invoice, and then it takes them how long to pay after you submit we it? We just use credit cards. So oh, we get so you hit it immediately. Yeah. So Within seven it. days. Yeah. So that part is seven days. Um, the other, the long-term care insurance is somewhere between 30 and 45 days, depending how, how on long. On the initial claim. No, or, no. Or that's just always. Okay. Depending on when we get the billing in, depending on when they pay the billing, it's usually somewhere between 30 and 45 days. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's routine. 
So it's sixty percent of your patients on sixty um, percent of your patients on long term care insurance. Right. You probably have a DSO between your cash and your long term care insurance of probably thirty days. Right around thirty days. Between that yes. thirty to forty five and the one week that you have for and cash. And we have almost zero bad debt. The only time we get bad debt is when we don't get the correct information up front. And then they ring up a bill, and then they realize, oh, my gosh, I owe you $15,000. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an or issue. Or someone passes away. And it's not that it's bad debt. It just takes time to go after and get that. Right. Yeah. But, it's but very, in many cases, you yeah. have a credit card. If it's cash pay or right. long-term care insurance, we bill insurance. Right. We've already assigned benefits. Right. So it allows us to bill on your behalf. Yeah. So it's, um, that, that, that's, that's a good question. Um, so the average receivable, then, what, what, would you, what would you call it as far as can? Are you um, talking about, I guess, the question we'd have to differentiate is, you want to know what, what you make the DSO for, is? What you make for what you make for clients? I think is more of a question. Um, oh, yours. I got you. Um, so we, that is such a varied question. Yeah, and it's we something we markets. can't we can't really answer it because it's not in our franchise disclosure document. But when you reach out to a guy like Ken, and when you reach out to some of our franchisees, they're able to share the average billing of their clients and, and things like that. Uh, Ken, is there any data that, that you can share as far as what a client is worth to you? I know. It just depends. I mean, some right. clients are $15,000 a month. Some clients are $300 a month, depending on whether it's a 15-minute med check in a facility that we take care of right. or it's a long-term care insurance or a 24-hour care client. Right. We have everything in between. From three hundred dollars a month to fifteen thousand, eighteen thousand dollars a month, probably. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's the variance. And yeah. so, yeah. each one of those is, you know, what drives the bottom line. And I think you can do the math. I think math. Uh, you said that you do what five hundred a month, five hundred and twenty. Oh, don't do the math. Okay, don't do we're the math. not allowed. Yeah. No, 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 no. You Get guys can do the math. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Ken, what would you say is the biggest change? You went from zero dollars in uh, late two thousand twelve. You had your first client in November. Uh, and now you're billing over $500,000 a month in gross billings. That's in our franchise disclosure document. Uh, what has been the biggest change for you going from, from uh, in, that, in five years to go to billing five hundred grand a month? What's the biggest change in your business and to you personally? I, I, I mean, I work hard every single day. I don't know that it's changed me at all. I mean, I still... If you call me on a Tuesday morning, I can tell you right where I'm going to be <laughs> at 8 o'clock in the morning. Every, I go marketing every day. The, the difference between me and I believe everybody else is you, some, most people get to a certain point and they stop marketing. Yeah. Yeah. So they lose those referral sources. And once you've lost the trust of a referral source, it's really hard to get it back. Right. They look at you like, really? So now you're, you're, now you're, back. Back. you're, now you're back. back because you want more referrals. You can't lose that referral source. You have to maintain that relationship. And so that's what I'm really good at, is maintaining relationships. Yeah. And, uh, and consistency. So what would you recommend? So, guys, we're coming up on uh, 1048. We want to get the last, last of your questions. We've got about 10 minutes here. We don't want to keep you guys for too long. Uh, and actually, everyone who joined us is still on. It's very nice of you guys. Thank you so much. I hope this is valuable to you. But please make sure that you type in your, your questions here. Um, so Ken, what, what is the, the biggest advice you'd give to somebody who's looking at this business? You have talked to, I think every single one of our franchisees, you have about 120, uh, most of them have talked to you and a lot of them have actually come out to visit with you. Right. Uh, and a lot of them were medical advice, pharmaceuticals, you were not, uh, what is the biggest piece of advice you'd give to these folks who are on the line? If you decide to join Amada, come spend three or four days with me. And I'll teach you everything I know. 
and it's a no-brainer. And you'll leave there thinking, I can do this. There is no secret sauce. It is hard work, and it's been awesome. It's been the greatest thing I've ever done. I remember sitting with Chad about six years ago right now and telling him I want to do I want to build one more business. And I said, Chad, you need to trust me. I will bust my butt and make this thing work. And it's been a great relationship for it's me. incredible. Yeah. And so I love Amada. They've been helpful in every aspect of my business. When I have issues, I know who I can call. And um, like I said, I get calls every day from people, and they all know from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., they can call me because I'm in my car marketing, <laughs> and they know what I'm doing, and it's a piece of cake. But I love it. I love it, Ken. Thank you so much. That's, that's very kind of you. Uh, Chad, uh, you came from a pharmaceutical background, so you know exactly where these folks are at. Medical device, can you share what would be your biggest piece of advice to these folks? Um, I think our, you mean on whether to decide to, I, I, I would say, I remember going through the process of thinking, am I going to leave corporate America? And I think you have to really, for me, my biggest piece of advice was I needed to have my support system and my people around me on board. And until I made the decision, I talked to my wife and we, and we really thought about it and prayed about it and had like a very specific decision together. I would say this is the biggest decision you'll probably make. One of professionally, it's, for me, it was the biggest decision I ever made in my life. And I needed my significant other, my wife, and the people around me to be 100% all in. So I, I, that's a very broad question you yeah. asked. But for me, it's if you're going down the entrepreneurial route, make sure you know what you're getting into and have your, your loved ones support and make sure that you're in it together. If you, if, What I've seen is some of the people who have not made it, there's that there's a division within the, the families of someone wanting to do it and someone not wanting to do yeah. it. So make sure that you have that, that loved one's buy-in. George also asked, does Amada provide marketing materials? Yes, we have a ton of marketing materials. And they're great. Um, anything, I mean, sometimes I think we, we go overboard. We are always releasing new marketing. We have a full-time marketing staff that's continually producing new marketing materials. Our best one right now is we have something called Marketing in the Box that allows our franchise partners to opt in and they get a box of goodies and different monthly related marketing materials that allow you to go out and give little goodies to your referral sources. Um, that's, that's been really good. Is there a brochure that I can see that goes over our discussion today concerning the business model? I think uh, the best thing to do would be to call um, Tim or Marcos and they'll go through um, all the information and we have a lot of different things that they can share with you. Um, what is there already a franchise owner in your geography? Paul asked that. I would say talk to um, oh, was there already a franchise? Well, Ken, I think if you're asking that to Ken, Ken was the first person in Colorado, so there was no one else. There was other franchises in your territory. Oh, at that yeah. Time, when I, but not in Amada. No, there was no Amada in Colorado, so that wasn't a big Wait, deal. There's um, if there's already another Amada franchise, there are three Amada franchises in Colorado that I share with, and we get along great. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Paul, if, if you have a franchisee that already is in your geography, then reach out to us because sometimes even if they have a certain geography next to you, there might be other territories available. Uh, we've had quite a few franchisees actually who have relocated uh, based on that fact that there was already somebody in their market. Uh, we need to obviously be, be willing to do that, but we can discuss all of those things. Let me go to a little more tactical because it sounds like some of the questions are a little more tactical. So, um, Chad, can you talk about, and, and Ken, you can share some of this as well, um, 
Uh, how do you go from you sign your franchise agreement, and as you guys know, anyway, you may not know, but our franchise fee is forty-eight thousand dollars, and you you pay your franchise agreement. What what happens in that first six months uh, that they start working with your team, Chad? Can you share a little bit about the the tactical side of after you sign the franchise agreement? Um, do you mind if I answer this question? There's two. No, yeah, go for it. There's two different people who who asked the same question before I, I answer. Yeah, yeah, the go for it. Jim and Alan both had similar questions, which is, do you provide competitive research in different areas and how to determine if there is a franchise in my geography and the competition? One thing that we do is, I, I believe what Ken said, I believe that if we focus on who we are and do what we do, then we'll be very successful. But we do have a competitive analysis that we help you do. So we, and in many cases, we'll help you um, call up your competitors, find out what their their kind of what their value add is, what their billing rate is, what their uh, what their payroll rate is, and we help to do a competitive analysis so you understand before you go into your market what your competitive um, uh, landscape looks like. Um, we also dig deep into kind of a sales call cycle, and we really help you to understand, okay, you know, who are all the hospitals, the skilled nursings? We'll point you in the right direction and help you build your call cycle, and we'll also help point you in the direction and tell you what you need to do from a competitive landscape. So we'll, that's definitely part of our onboarding process, and we have our sales and support team, and this gets into your question. Yeah. We have a, a what's called a pre-opening business consultant who helps you through the initial phase of startup. We also have a training and support team that focuses on sales, operations, and technology. Uh, we have, uh, like, seven main phases of training. The first phase is what we call onboarding, where we do a lot of that competitive and sales um, research with you. The second phase is where you come to a, a week of training in, in San Clemente, California, and we walk you through all the different things you need to learn. Phase three is when you go back in the field and you start to implement that. Phase four is when we come out and spend three days in the field with you to make sure you're getting everything that we trained you here and that you've now been implementing. Um, and then from that point, we have some different things. That, that, that probably gives you a good idea. That's your first at least nine months. Right. Uh, you know what? I'd like to add something. Right now is the perfect time to join. Because you join right now, you get things going. By the in February or March, you come to corporate training. What, what's that called? Com conference? Corporate conference? Oh yeah, that's annual. Oh, conference. the annual, annual conference. conference. Yeah. And you'll have you will get so much information at that first corporate conference that you'll be able to go back and implement. If you wait six, five, three or four months, you're behind that curve, and that corporate conference will be the following year, and it just makes a big difference. This is exactly how I joined, right about now. And, and so the first corporate conference, I mean, I was all ears. I learned, it was unbelievable how much I learned that first year and was able to take it back to my market and implement those things and explode. And I would say that our annual conferences are, are 10 times better than they were then because oh, yeah. now we have 120 franchise partners. Most of our sessions are being led by Ken Jensen and Troy Tice and some of these guys who are, who are, are all of our top 10 producers. Two other questions. Can the competition analysis occur before signing? No, we don't do that. We only do that after you signed your franchise agreement. What we do is we will do a territory analysis, and we'll give you a good idea of what your demographic looks like, how many seniors are in your territory, how many hospitals, how many skilled nursings. But that's the extent. It's only hospitals, skilled nursings, and demographic. Because what we want to do is we want to look at your territory and say, is it a viable territory um, to get you where your goals want to get you to? The next question well, is... But also, one thing about the territory that, Alan, that was a great question, realize that every single territory analysis that we do where we look at the competition, 100% of them come back with 
there's a lot of competition. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's never going to be a, a territory analysis where we do. We go, oh, my gosh, there's, no there's com- nobody here. Let's go there. <laughs> so we don't do it not, not so much to keep the information from you. It's more because there is no need to do it at that point. The competitor analysis that we do afterwards is to get you the lay of the land so that you can, you can do your go-to-market strategy. But it doesn't matter where you are. It's like Ken said, 186 competitors in his market. You here in Orange County had 200-something competitors. And here's the thing. The competitive analysis doesn't matter. If you're good at what we've asked you to be good at, which is building relationships, the only thing we do that competitive analysis for after you sign is to find out what the average billing rate is, what the average pay rate is, so that you know that you come into the market at at um, at at a price point that makes sense to the market. We're not really worried about, oh, my gosh, I got 100 competitors, right. although that is the reaction of some people. Yeah. Uh, but we're, we're, we're pretty clear with that. Like, there's going to be competition, and we don't really worry about who they are because we know what our message is and we stick to it. Um, another question is how competitive is the, the caregiver labor market? That's, That's a, a good very, good, very question. good question. Jim Lincoln asked that question. So here's the thing. It is, it is very different by different markets. So what we would want to do, and, yeah, I mean, Here's the thing. Um, it says, and then there's another question. Ken, with 500k in billing per month now, what kind of outgoing expenses do you have monthly? 17 employees. Do you want to answer that? That's the 17 internal. I have 17 office. internal office employees. At, when you add one, I actually have more like 22 internal office employees. They take care of all of the scheduling, the billing, the HR, the hiring, the um, everything. So it allows me to go out and sell. I have 380 caregivers. So I don't have almost 400 employees. Um, but is it worth it? Absolutely. Are we making money? Absolutely. I just finished my taxes. Holy crap. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh. Well, I, I think here's, here's, I think maybe what you're also asking also is, um, you know, what are the outgoing expenses? One thing that we do work with our franchise partners on, and every franchise partner is different. We have a, our CFO, Jeff, who's really good at digging into your, your P&L with you and saying, look, based on your P&L and how many clients you have and how much billing revenue you have, let's look and see what your gross profit margin is, what your net profit margin. We even introduced a really cool concept at our last annual training where we had training to teach you how to read your P&L better. We will train you on how to understand how much you should be billing and how much you should be paying and making sure that your profit margins are where they need to be. Um, and, that makes, and also a big component of that with Ken would be those 17 employees. How does your office staff fit into that overall uh, profit margin for your company. We'll help you understand that. Right. Jeff helped, helped us look at the percentage of um, gross revenue for my office staff from the time I was at $100,000 a month to now well over $500,000 a month. And and I've tried to keep it at the same percentage. And you've done and I, Yeah. I mean, I want to keep that percentage at the same rate because as I continue to grow, my goal is to be at a million dollars a month. And that's where I want to be. So my office staff is going to double. If I'm at a million dollars a month, I expect to have somewhere between 20, 30, probably 35 to 40 people in my office. Yeah, or multiple offices. Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. The, I think the, the caregiver question, go, go back to oh, the competitiveness no. of the, yeah. With, so uh, the I, caregiver. Yeah, sorry, I kind of got off that. But it is, a, it is becoming more and more of an issue. And so we have to look at that from each independent market. Like Ken does not have a huge issue with acquiring caregivers. He finds caregivers and he's able to staff what he needs. Other markets, it's more problematic. What we found is that when we carve territories, we like to see wealth demographic, very similar 
and close to lower income to medium income zip codes. So a lot of people say, I want my charity to have all wealthy zip codes based on wealth demographics. And what we say is we gotta, we got to be kind of careful. You can't have a purely wealthy territory that is not close to other areas that we're potentially you can pull caregivers from. So there is some strategy in how we design your territory that can help you or hurt you when it comes to being able to hire caregivers. But that's it. And, and I can't answer that question because I don't know which market you're in, but we can do a better job of looking at your demographics. And our, our guy who, who carves territories, he's pretty good at now basing some of that carve based on where we can find caregivers. That's right. And uh, Alan, you said, this is my first exposure to the business. Alan, welcome. Thank you so much for being on with us. How to obtain the infrastructure requirements, office space, personnel equipment. Don't worry. So a lot of that tackling stuff, a lot of the, the details, we are going to walk you through this discovery process. What, what you need to do is, is reach out to Tim Valencia. So Tim Valencia is our VP of Franchise Development, and Tim has helped us bring on almost all of our 120 franchisees uh, here for, for Amada. And what you'll do is you reach out to Tim, and Tim is going to be like your concierge. He's going to walk you through every step of the process, walking through what the training look like, what do you need to start, what is the office space. We have a, a very large document we sent, we sent you called our Franchise Disclosure Document that says, that describes everything you could possibly need to know about the business. Um, but it is a process. Um, we have no uh, dreams or, or uh, thoughts that after this call you'll be paying a 48000 franchise fee. Uh, it's going to take some time for us to walk you through that process, and Tim Valencia is the guy uh, that will do that with you. You probably have at least four or five emails from Tim that has his, has his phone number on it. Reach out to Tim, and Tim will reach out to you guys as well, and schedule your steps of your discovery process depending on where you are at this stage. Um, let's see. So let me make sure here that we've answered all of your uh, questions so far. Guys, thank you so much for hanging in there with us. Uh, we're happy to answer some more questions for you. Let's see here. Is there an annual royalty in addition to the 48,000 franchise agreement? So let me just share here on the screen. I'll show you guys the, uh, the territory here that we designed. It's a territory size between 350 and 500,000 total population. Uh, that's what the territory will look like. And then also on the royalty structure. So once you pay your 48000 franchise fee, then you have your ongoing royalties. So your ongoing royalties for home care is 5% of gross billings. So if you're, if you're billing $100,000 a month, then your royalties will not be $5,000, for example. Now, you see there are national accounts, which is the 6%. So national accounts would be any account where we actually – hand you over a lead for you to be able to go uh, uh, put on service. So any of that will be 6% instead of 5 So your royalty would be anywhere between 5 or 6 depending on how much of your business comes from national accounts and how much of it is local. Uh, right now, and, and I always like to tell you guys that the vast majority of your business today will come from your, your uh, local efforts. Um, actually, these guys, let me have these guys say bye real quick to Chad and Ken are leaving to start their uh, their conference. So uh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Us. Thanks for letting us come in. Yeah, appreciate it. All right. So thanks, guys. Thank All right. So on the royalty structure, it's 5% or 6%. Uh, so it just depends on where your business is coming from. But the vast majority of your business today is going to come from your efforts. So Ken, for example, 
Uh, a small percentage of it comes from national accounts. Like, for example, the NFL is a national account where the NFL contacts us. They let us know who the player is that now needs home care, where they are in the nation. Then we call you guys, and then you just really have to go talk to the family and decide how much care they need, right? That would be an example of a national account. Now, something we really haven't talked about today is the placement side. Another part of our business that we do is we help people uh, uh, go to an assisted living, a boarding care, or Alzheimer's care unit. These are, these are, this is for the folks where home care is not ideal. Either uh, the, home is, <clears throat> the home is too large and uh, the senior feels lonely, even with a caregiver there 24-7. They want to be with other seniors. Or $15,000 a month. You heard you hear Ken saying that he has lots of clients that are $15,000 a month in billing for some families that may not even be possible. So for those folks, we help them find an assisted living, a boarding care, an Alzheimer's care unit. And in that case, we get a commission from that assisted living. And that commission is usually equal to first month's rent. So if it's $3,000 a month to live there, we're looking for a $3,000 commission. If it's $10,000 a month to live there, we're looking for a $10,000 commission. Uh, and, and you're usually getting anywhere between 50 to 100% of first month's rent as a commission from the assisted living. The royalty on that would be 10%. So if you got a commission of $3,000, your royalty to our model would be 300 bucks, right? Now, those placement uh, commissions are a one-time thing that the assisted living pays you. And then the family or the senior goes and lives at the assisted living. But we still keep track, right? We still uh, visit with these folks, make sure they're doing okay. If they ever need to move assisted livings, we'll help them do that and get another commission. If they want to go back and being serviced at home, we can do that as well. So they continue being in our client pool even after we do that. And then all of our franchise partners also contribute a 1% advertising fund. And that's what's helping us do a lot of our marketing to each of our markets. Uh, so, for example, we are doing more and more SEO uh, and search engine marketing where we're doing leads coming from Facebook, Google, and all these other places. And that is one of the fastest-growing parts of our business because, as you can see, guys like Ken and guys that have been in business since 2012, they're growing very fast. So they're contributing to that 1%. Just you know, think about how much Ken is contributing to that advertising fund. And it's really allowed us to really ramp up a lot of the advertising we're doing to push business out to you guys in your territories. So uh, the, the royalty is anywhere between 5 and 6% plus you have the 1% advertising fund. And that's why, guys, it's so important, two things, so, so important that you spend time with Tim Valencia, who is our VP of Franchise Development. He is going to walk you through this process, and it is a process. It's not going to come all at once. As you heard from this call today, we'll spend just as much time telling you how amazing this business is as we'll also spend time telling you how hard this is going to be. Our job here is not to sell you on anything. We just we want to educate you to find out if this is the right business. So it's so important that you reach out to Tim Valencia. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to uh, invite you to reach out to guys like Ken and have one-on-one -on -one conversations with him where he can share so much more than what he shared today. Um, there's a lot of rules and regulations to what we can allow Ken to share in this call. Uh, you heard me throughout the call kind of shushing the guys like, whoa, whoa, you can't talk about that. But when you talk to Ken, when you talk to Troy Tice, when you talk to Ken, uh, Robert Christensen, when you talk to our franchisees, one-on-one, -on -one, they can share anything and everything that they're comfortable sharing with you. 
and you'll start building those relationships with them. These are folks like Ken who are paying these royalties, who are paying the advertising fund. That's a lot of money that they're contributing toward the system that, well, that you are going to benefit too, but also understanding their point of view. How is it going for them? Will they do it again? Are they happy? Are we supportive? So we will uh, help you connect with our franchisees one-on-one as well so you can hear from them. And unlike Ken, the vast majority of franchisees are uh, former medical device and pharmaceutical folks who had lives uh, very similar to yours. So you'll also be able to talk about, man, what was that like? You, you quit your striker job, your Abbott, your Pfizer, your Merck. What was it like? Um, we have a, a great franchise partner in um, Nevada who was a striker rep, was doing really well as striker, but always felt like there was more to him, right? He could just keep going as striker. He didn't feel like his job was in jeopardy. Um, he felt like everything was going to go great, but he just felt like there was more to him. He wanted to own his own business. He wanted to change his community. He wanted to impact the lives of, of the people he worked with, right? He was, he was a mission-based kind of guy. So those are the folks that you'll be able to speak to to talk about, you know, what was it like and what was the investment like and what is the lifestyle like? Don't just take our word for it. You'll be meeting with them as well. All right. So last thing I want to cover with you guys, let me see here. Uh, and, and, and listen, let me tell you, we're so incredibly thankful for your questions, for your being on the phone with us, uh, for how deeply you're thinking about this. That's where we want you to be. If you came in and you're like, here's my money, let me get a franchisee, we would say, no, stop, hang on a minute. We want you to have lots of questions, and we want you to go through it, and we want you to really do your due diligence. That's what we're expecting. So I'm so thankful. The questions you guys have, have brought up today are just fantastic. Really, really cool. Thank you so much. Um, I want to just give you a quick view of what the process can look like um, Oh, actually, one, one more thing. Remember when we talked about the initial investment, right? The initial investment could be anywhere between eighty-seven to 174000 And uh, uh, Chad was talking about that. It's really important also that you get one-on-one with guys like Ken to talk about truly what that initial investment looks like. Because a big part of that initial investment is that twenty-five to 72000 you see on my screen. So if you go back to look at the screen, maybe some of you are not, don't have the screen on anymore because we've, we've just been chatting. But go back to the screen, you see this investment breakdown of 87 to 174,000. What's important for you to understand is that there's this bucket of 25,000 to 72,000 of your initial investment that is synonymous to, listen, if you grow super fast like Ken did, then you're going to have to reinvest money into your business to, to keep up with payroll, keep up with your accounts receivable. Um, and it's a positive problem to have. A lot of people say, man, I want to start a business and I want to grow like a rocket. Now, I don't care what business you start. If it's a restaurant, if it's a home care company, if it's a software company, whatever it is, if you do experience explosive growth, you're going to have to invest more in your business. It seems like a weird thing uh, to think about because your cash flow will be sucked into your growth. That's not a home care thing. That is a business thing. So that is one of the reasons why we always make sure that you have access to capital of at least 175000 doesn't mean it has to be liquid right away because you may not need to use all of it. We have franchisees that have been on the lower end of that 87, and we have franchisees who have been at that high end of the 175. But the, the biggest part of that has actually been growth pattern. Um, also, so that's, that's so important. We want to make sure that you have at least access to capital of 175000 
and you have a net worth of at least $250,000. Your net worth needs to be at least $250,000. Again, not that you're going to tap into that capital, but we want to make sure that if you grow extremely fast, or by the way, guys, if you grow super slow, uh, we had uh, one of our franchise partners, uh, Tony and Teresa. Uh, Tony is an airline pilot, and his wife was a uh, nurse and also a pharmaceutical rep. Actually, she's a medical um, device rep. Um, and uh, they joined our business. They grew the business very, very quickly. But in their first year, Ken was called up for the reserves. He's a reservist, and it was crazy. It was a six-month call. He signed his franchise agreement, and I think it was like four months later. They're working their tails off. They're going, running their business. And then Ken was called up to the reserves. And it really put a, uh, a damper on, on their ability to grow the business. But Teresa did an amazing job. She kept growing the business while Tony was gone, and then he came back. So there are things that could happen that may delay you in really growing your business quickly. That's why we talk about this initial investment. That's why we overestimate. Well, I wouldn't want to call it overestimated. That's why we put the investment there up front for you to know. If you don't have access to these type of funds, still reach out to Tim Valencia because uh, as you get to trust us, we're going to counsel with you. We have SBA lending that you can do. Uh, there's other ways to access capital. Um, and as you trust us, we'll be able, you'll be able to share that information with you and we'll connect you with the right people if this is right for you. What we will never do is if the capital isn't there and there's no way to access it, then we, and let's say you have $48,000 to your name, we would not allow you to become a franchisee. We will never put somebody in harm's way and uh, try to sell you on something that you're not going to be able to run. So we take that very seriously. We, we help you go through those financials. Um, in a responsible way, right? You're not disclosing a bunch of crazy things to us, but we just want to help you find out financially if this is the right business for you. We have a lot of experience with over 120 franchisees of what you really need to have financially to be able to have a, the, the best opportunity to be successful as a senior care entrepreneur. So I want to share that with you. Um, also, and, and I keep saying the last thing and I keep remembering other things I want to share with you. So next steps, again, it is reaching out to Tim Valencia. And uh, he is going to walk you through this process. So today we, we took a break and we talked to uh, Chad and Ken and went over some information with them. We're going to catch you up on what we call a franchise disclosure document review, where we're going to talk more about the, the tackle of the business. Like, what does it really mean to run the business? What do we provide? What do you have to do? Uh, all of those things we're going to share with you. And that's a call that we need to schedule with you. This Another call that we're going to schedule with you that Tim will schedule is an amazing call. It's really cool. You get to sit down and go over your territory. So if you're in Wisconsin or in New Mexico, I can't remember who was in New Mexico, wherever you are, what we're going to do is we're going to sit down. You're going to sit down one-on-one -on -one with Jeremy, who runs our marketing team, and he's going to walk you through his thoughts on the demographics of your market. What he thinks about the referral sources, the population, the amount of seniors, the income demographic. Are you going to find enough caregivers? If, would there be a problem with caregivers or with senior population? He's going to walk you through all of that. It's a very unbiased look at what does the territory look like. There have been some territory reviews, or Jeremy will do, where you guys have determined that, you know what, we should move the territory to another place. Uh, because he is, and actually Jeremy has drafted... Uh, we have uh, 120, so we'll say, I mean, like 110 of them were drafted by Jeremy. He, he started with us when we had about 10 or so franchise partners. 
and he he's gone through and, and drafted every single one of those. So you not a not a webinar like this. You'll be one on one with Jeremy over the phone, and he'll have the screen up with our mapping software, and he's going to zoom in and zoom out and show you everything about your market. What I love about that call is it's really the a data driven moment where we're not talking about well, I've always thought this would be good in my market, or I I have a hunch, or I think it's okay. What is the data? actually support? Does it support that this could be a great territory? How does it relate to like Ken's territory? How does it relate to other people who are successful? Is it similar or is it different? And how is it similar? How is it different? He'll cover all of that with you during that call. We do those on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So like, for example, today uh, he has four phone calls he's doing with four of our prospective franchisees where he's going through the territories. Um, and so you, you really need to reach out to Tim and get on the calendar. It's about a half hour at least that uh, Jeremy will, going through, will, will be talking to you about your territory. Um, and, of course, when you're ready. I mean, you, it, it's when you're ready to do that, reach out to Tim, and he'll schedule it with you. Just want to let you know that they do book up quickly. Uh, he does on Tuesdays and Thursdays about four of them at uh, uh, each of those days. So uh, I, we may be booked for uh, Thursday already. So we're, we're scheduling those for next week, for next Tuesday and next Thursday. So look at your calendar, and when you call Tim, you'll be able to, to, to schedule that with him. Um, so that's your territory review. And then we also have you come out and spend an entire day here in Orange County where you meet with us face-to-face. We have never awarded a territory to a franchise partner without meeting you face-to-face. You heard, you know, Ken, Ken was our second franchisee, but he still spoke to Chad, booked a ticket, and he was here the next day. And Ken's kind of crazy that way. And so he was here, and he sat down with us, and we, we spent, we actually spent uh, an entire day with Ken, even back in those days where we had one other franchisee. But we've always done that. We are just as interested in getting to know you as you are interested in getting to know us. You got to remember, this franchise agreement allows for a 10-year license. When you're signing the franchise agreement and paying the 48,000 franchise fee, it's a 10-year agreement. So we will know you for you know those 10 years. You will be working together, and we've always had this this dream that when we go to our annual conference every year and our, we have our regional meetings as well that when we look across that room, that it would be people that we would want to introduce our families to, that we would want to travel with. Uh, we've taken our franchise partners to Nicaragua, when Nicaragua was safe. We took, we've gone to Costa Rica. Uh, we've gone fishing in Alaska. Um, we do all these cool trips together where we take our families with us. So, you know, I know you guys want to get to know us. We want to get to know you as well. So you do come out for a discovery day here with us, an entire day. We meet our entire team, and it's a very long date. We wish we could actually date longer, right? But there's only so much time in a day, so we spend that day together, and it's a great time for you to get to know us and we get to know you. So only after this entire process, uh, once we finish this entire process, that's when we offer, we extend to you the the, uh, approval of, hey, we would love for you to be our our franchise partner. Financially, you qualify. Who you are, we want to build a business with you over the next 10 years. Um, and then we, we extend it to you. And then you would tell us, hey, yeah, I, I, my family, we are ready. We want to do this. And that's when we actually sign the franchise agreement. You pay the 48000 franchise fee. 
But all of that has to happen before we would ever even consider it, which is how you would be as well in, in your diligence process. So don't worry about it. We will never pressure you. It will just be a process of getting to know each other, culminating to this discovery day that we'll do with you. Uh, so I wanted to share that with you a little bit um, about, uh, about our system, about our process, and um, invite you to go through it. So reach out to Tim Valencia. He will schedule your next step in discovery. If it's your first time hearing us and you're just a little confused, if that's okay, if you've already gone through what we call our first call, our program review, if you've already met with Jeremy, wherever you are, reach out to Tim Valencia to make sure that you schedule your next steps and just keep taking one step after the other. And every time you do, you'll get to know more, you'll learn more about the business, and you'll find out if this is the right business for you and your family. So thank you so much for joining me. I want to uh, let you guys go. It's 11.22. We've been together for about an hour and a half. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It means so much to us that you take the time out of your busy schedule, uh, time away from your family, time away from your work, to be here with us. That already is a huge, huge thing to us. And we're super, super thankful that you would do that. Uh, and we're excited to take you through the next steps of discovery. Thank you so much. We'll talk to everybody soon. Bye-bye. To learn more about launching your Amada Senior Care business, go to amadapodcast.com. Again, amadapodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, Marcus here with some uh, legal mumbo-jumbo for you. So this podcast is not an offer to sell a franchise. The offer of a franchise can only be made through delivery of a franchise disclosure document. And certain states require that we register our franchise disclosure document in those states before offering a franchise there. So this communication is not directed to any residents of those states. Now, for any more information on this, please go to amadaseniorcarefranchise.com slash important dash note. Again, that's amadaseniorcarefranchise.com slash important dash note. Also, any financial representations that you hear on this podcast or in any of our materials, please go verify them in our franchise disclosure document under item 19, financial representations.